Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 34, Death, recorded Tuesday, January 28th of 2014, with your hosts, Grant, Peter, and Brandon. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Brandon. And I actually don't have any news. And neither do I. I'm very confused. I don't know what this is about. Brandon, do you have any news? I actually might have a job that will hopefully not uh, conflict with uh, the schedule because I sent in my time and I'm I'm willing to hear back. I basically, I went in for an interview at a place for a job I really, really wanted. And they're like, hey, you'd be perfect for this other job that you really kind of like. And they sent my uh, resume over to that guy, and the guy emailed me back and said, it looks like you have the skills we need. Give us your availability, and we'll like get back to you about when you're working. Something like that. Nice. Yeah, he hasn't officially given me the job, but it's like all signs sure. point to I have the job. Yeah, it's, it's certainly more positive than, you know, hey, would you be willing to do it for this lower amount, and we might consider hiring you. <laughs> yeah, so our topic tonight is uh, dealing with death at the table. There's a lot to this topic, obviously. We don't even know if we're going to be able to squeeze this all into one hour-long episode. If not, we might be doing a death part two next time. We'll find out. But I do want to very quickly welcome everybody who's just found us through Inroads Ministries. You guys are awesome. We're glad you're here. Yes. Yes. The, hopefully the uh, cross-pollination that we'd hoped for has already begun. So I hope so. I've actually already gotten some good feedback on the last episode with Mike Perna. So Good. And as kind of yeah. a corollary to that, any of you who are listening to us who have not checked out Game Store Profits or Inroads Ministries, go do it. They're interesting guys. Indeed. They're good people doing good stuff. Yep. Oh, and one last little quick bit of news now that I think about it. I am going to officially be making an effort and a promise here on this podcast. You're hearing it here first to get our missing back episodes added to the, the news feed. So Excellent. You should start seeing those. Awesome. I think you actually sent up a couple today, didn't you, Grant? I uploaded them. I have not posted them. What I think I'm going to do is post them on off weeks. Gotcha. Just mm -hmm. to kind of have some content to fill out uh, that down week. Works for me. Anyway, uh, we've got a lot to get to tonight, so let's jump right into our scripture, shall Alrighty. we? I'm the one who put Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14 in here, which means you guys are probably going to make me read it, aren't you? <laughs> yes, uh, that's a safe uh, assumption. <laughs> <laughs> that scared me. I, I I know I put the other two up there because I'm like, oh, death quotes. And I'm like, all right, well, let's see what we have. And then all of a sudden, what is this thing? <laughs> yeah, what is this three paragraphs of scripture? Okay. Well, the thing is, the, the Valley of Dry Bones image that, you know, it's a very famous passage from Ezekiel. And I didn't want to leave part of it out because the whole thing is important. Mm -hmm. So. That's okay. This isn't the first time we've had a huge block of scripture. I remember putting about half no, the book of Jonah in once. Me. No, I read the huge uh, chunk from Jonah oh, that right. I put in. You did. You did. Poorly, but I read it. All right. Anyway, enough procrastinating on this. Uh, this is Ezekiel 37, verses 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. 
Then he said to me, Prophecy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophecy to the breath, prophecy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophecy, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Pretty cool. Then we have Revelations fourteen thirteen. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. And the last one is 1 Thessalonians four thirteen and 14. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So one of the main topics that we want to talk about over the next couple of issues is death. And this is actually a common argument I have heard levied against uh, fantasy RPGs in particular, but a lot of other uh, RPGs by both secular and religious opponents, saying that uh, RPGs cheapen death and life with things like resurrection. Uh, religious sources also tend to throw in that it cheapens resurrection from something miraculous and spectacular to something that any, like, fourth level cleric can do right actually i think you yeah, have to be ninth level but whatever well if you be and ninth details. for true uh, oh oh no ninth level spells all right yeah no 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 we are yeah. not getting into that <laughs> no because i do not remember my sr okay. game <laughs> all right besides you can always hire a cleric um this is true you're right though this is something that i have heard discussed before and it's actually as i have thought about it over the course of my gaming career and interestingly, specifically my gaming career, and not so much my growth as a Christian, my taste in games has changed. How so? I think this may be more growing older than anything else. I have moved from really clinging tightly to an existing character and wanting them back at all times, you know, no matter what happens to them, to being willing to let a character go ahead and let a character die or let their story end, especially if it's if it feels like the right time for it, and picking up a new one. Mm -hmm. I'm no longer clinging really, really tightly to this familiar character that I've created and being enamored of the fact that he's, oh man, he's like 30th level, that's awesome. 
who cares? You know what? I'd rather play a whole bunch of second level characters with interesting stories and get a bunch of different interesting stories out. Of Interestingly, that's what we're planning to do with L5R, but yeah, it is. And that's one of the reasons I'm in favor of the format we've chosen for the Legend of the Five Rings game. Yeah. Now, we're kind of already getting off topic, which yeah, is unfortunate. Yeah, uh, yeah, sorry. No, it's all right. Yeah, because I'll admit, like, I've noticed that a little bit happening to me, too. And I, I don't know which came first, the character who I planned their death in an actual game. I don't know. It's not off topic because the topic really is about dealing with death of what happens when a character dies. Now, if, if it's in a game and everyone's really cool with this character dying or the person playing this character is cool for this character dying, then that's good. But, you know. Right. And that means we should probably start with the problems that can come up when a character does die. True, but I also don't want to, uh, I also would want to hear what you guys' thoughts on the whole cheapening life and death thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're definitely going to get okay. there. Okay. All right. Because I want to talk about deaths, you know, the problems that deaths can cause in a game and a gaming group. And then I want to talk about the problems that resurrections can cause. Oh, yes. So deaths first. I think probably the biggest problem that crops up anytime a player character dies is a sense of unfairness. Oh, I lost the game. Well. Right. Okay, I already I disagree with you because I think that yeah. that's certainly a problem that can pop up, but it's not guaranteed. I think story discontinuity is a much more consistent and virtually guaranteed problem because you've got this character okay. that's been there for the whole thing and all of a sudden they're gone. Or like let's say you were like me in one of the games that I was trying to run and you had this little prophecy about people. And then all of a sudden, I basically said, you're in a fight with someone. It was a random fight that right. they were losing. And I go, look, they'll probably not try to kill everyone else, but they're probably going to go after you because they really don't like you. So you should probably try to get out of the fight or, like, take some more consequences or something. And this guy took the hit, and then he's just like, nah, screw it, I die. I'm like, uh, but uh, no, you can survive this. And <coughs> and I just, it was just sort of like a punch in the gut and made me just go, how am I going to work this? Yeah. All right. I will grant you that within the story that you are telling, that's a huge problem, right? Especially if you are starting off with the expectation that these characters are going to see the end of the campaign as well, right? Mm -hmm. I was kind of coming at it from a, a gaming group problem. You know, what's the biggest problem that you have with the people at your table when a character kicks it? And certainly, I I understand what you were trying to say. I just, I think... Well, okay, this goes back to I've had unusually good and mature gaming groups, I guess. But <laughs> yes, let me put it this way. When I'm on Reddit, about once every couple of days, there's a how do I deal with dead player characters? I've got a really upset player th uh, thread that pops up. You know, oh, man. it comes up a lot. I'm going to sound like a, a system elitist here. I think D&D, &D, kind of by the nature of the fact that it is the predominant game, and this is D&D &D in all of its forms, including Pathfinder. So don't you Paizo fans get started. I think the fact that that is sort of the common first game for everybody sets some funny expectations about characters because D&D &D is very often a, hey, these characters are going to go from the start of the campaign to the end sort of system. And D&D &D is also a very long running system. Like, uh, Yeah, it's designed for long campaigns. Yeah. Especially in, and Absolutely. also especially in modern editions of it, it's really hard to whack a PC. It is something something like GURPS or something. You can have somebody die almost instantly. Oh yeah, yeah, no question. I, I, I am I'm very unfamiliar with GURPS. 
I'd say that D&D is one of the easier systems that I've played to, like, actually kill off a PC. Uh, then again, like, uh, Monster Hearts, Fate, uh, other things like that, it is much harder. And, and, and characters in Monster Hearts are a lot easier to kill, are, are, have a lot less health, but, like, the things that hurt you are a lot less common. Okay, let me let me give yeah. you a very quick example that will tell you everything you need to know about how lethal GURPS is. Mega what? damage or something? No, no. That's that's no, no, riffs. No, that's riffs. Oh, okay. Take a point of shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take several. Take a mega da- a point of mega shame. <laughs> as long as we're I gonna use that. At any rate, um you're playing in a civil war game, okay? Okay. GURPS only uses six sided dice. The mini ball that comes out of the musket does, let's say 15 points of damage on average. It's five or six D6. Your character has 10 hit points. And even if they survive the initial impact, now you're going to be rolling on the um, broken bones and sepsis table. Okay. I, I didn't quite understand the, the the numbers you threw at me. You said you only have 14 hit points. One bullet is going to do half again the number of starting hit points you have. And it's it's hard to avoid that, I'm assuming. Well... Depends on how good of a shot the other guy is. All right. But I mean, if if you're playing in like a Civil War game, yeah, a mini ball can kill you like that. Yeah. GURPS is renowned for... It's lethality. Relatively <laughs> lethal rules. Anyway, again, getting a little off track. But I, I do think that kind of what everybody tends to enter the hobby with sets certain expectations. And then once those expectations are violated in some way, people tend to get upset about it. And it also affects the storytelling that game masters tend to plan on. You know, like you're saying, oh, hey, I've I've planned to have this character here the whole time. Now what? Well, I would say that that sort of comes from the problem of movies and television. Because in movies and television, especially drawing from the fantasy things, death is common. Like, there's usually a death in every single uh, movie or television that you see, sometimes one an episode. Yeah. But the, the thing is, is it's planned and everyone controls everything. So you're, you're walking in and you're expecting that you're going to come out of every situation on top, which can lead to the Tiananmen Square, I stand in front of the tank sort of things. And they're not going to roll me over because I'm a PC. Right. And even the deaths that are planned are often, okay, this is one of the characters that can die. Here are a bunch of characters that can't yes. die. Unless we're talking about Lost, in which case just... <laughs> well, yeah, but then they Anyone come back at as, any time, know, and smoke? they won't stay dead. And yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it's oh look, we wrote a soap opera about these guys on an island. It's very strange. Yeah, that follows comic book rules, <laughs> apparently. Uh, anyway, um, you're right. There's a huge story problem that can crop up, especially if you're not planning. Well, that's appropriately. Well, that, that's that's means it comes is planning and expectations. If people come in expecting. I'm not going to die in this game. This is why, like, most every other RPG podcast out there has given the death advice. Uh, We don't have to do a whole thing about it. Make sure you talk to your group about it. Make sure that they know the lethality of the game. Make sure that you know that a higher lethality game is going to lead to shallower characters. Because, like, why am I going to write five pages of backstory on this guy who's going to get killed by a musket ball? (laughs) Yeah, now, again... I'm actually going to disagree with that because I don't think that's always true. I think in a lot of cases it is. And I would even go so far as to say the vast majority of cases that is the case. When you've got a high lethality game, people are going to be at least less invested 
up front. They're not going to write ten pages of background. Yeah, and, and I, right. I completely. Understand. I'm not saying that they aren't going to enjoy their characters or aren't going to play it more. And it could mm-hmm. lead to that, but like it's it's just impossible for like if I'm having a game where my character is going to die every session, I don't have enough hours in the day to write ten pages of backstory to someone who's going to die because I need to write a sure. hundred pages. Yeah, you're right about that. What happens for me is in a really lethal system, I get more attached to the character because this is all the time I've got with this character. I've got to make this character count. Whereas, Well, it's the same principle that makes um, roguelikes so compelling in the PC gaming end of things. If this character can go at any time and once they're dead, they're really dead, that adds a lot of tension to everything that you do. It does. And if you can play that up, I think you can get a lot of mileage out of it. It's the same sort of thing we get from – sorry, I I keep interrupting you. I'm sorry, but this just happened today. Uh, It's the same sort of thing that I think a lot of parents and other – well, I'm not going to limit it to just parents, but as a dad, I'm going to use a parenting example. Um, It's snowed for the first time this year here where we are, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave early so I can get home safe before the roads ice up. And I'm glad I did because they were starting to get icy by the time I got home. But part of my reasoning for getting home was I wanted to get outside and see my daughter go out into the snow for the first time because I'm never going to have a chance to do that again when she's a year and a half old. Yeah. It's that that limited time that you have. It's one of those things where I, I really wanted to have that moment. And the fact that that moment is limited makes it more special. The Legend of the Five Rings game that we're starting up, I'm really excited by it because my character could very well die at any time. Oh, yeah. L5R is a relatively lethal system, especially if you start doing a lot of duels. If you don't win the duel, you're probably dead. I'm really looking forward to that because if that's how he goes out, so be it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to some of that stuff with uh, my Witch Hunter character, too. I mean, you know, you tangle with something that's, you know, corrupted out in the Shadowlands and... You could be done. Like, I think this is coming back to expectations. The scarcity of your character could be something that provides enjoyment. Uh, kind, of, kind of like uh, yeah. playing Minecraft on hardcore mode. Or like the whole people who scream in MMOs that they want permadeath. Well, I, I played a lot of Diablo 2 that was hardcore. I remember losing level 60, 70, 80 characters and being like, well, that was a lot of work gone. But man, it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> hey, Grant. How many hours do you have in Dungeons of Dreadmore? Uh, not enough. <laughs> Precisely. I think I crossed 200 a couple days ago. Oof. Yeah, that's a yeah. lot of well, roguelikes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of roguelikes for that thing, because I like being able to continue and things like that. But I'll admit, I like scarcity of things. I don't play Minecraft on creative mode. I've, I've, I've kept myself yeah. challenged where I keep monsters on all the time, where I don't go to peaceful unless I absolutely, like, in, only in a rare, rare, rare occasion. Uh, because yeah. that's what makes it fun for me, is having to deal with these problems. And as soon as it not doesn't become fun for me, then I don't do it. And there have been times I have gone into games where I thought if this character was going to die, I would have been upset with it. Now, I think that's a whole lot happened when I was younger, so I don't know if this is a function of maturity or just my taste changing, because I don't want to uh, aspire to, like, this is just me becoming more mature and a better role player, because, like, that's, that's yeah. me just being pompous, and I don't want to be pompous. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And, and, I think... Yeah. As much as anything else, it may also be you know how to handle it oh, yeah. a little better. And the rest of your group that you are gaming with also knows how to handle a dead character. 
one of the big pieces of advice I, I give people anytime they're asking about this is if you're going to kill off a character, that's going to leave that player without anything to do. Yeah. Find something for them to do. Even if it's, you know, help you out as the GM for the rest of the session or, hey, take over this NPC. I, I would not say something like, OK, spend your time making a new character because that isolates them from the rest yeah, of the group and they stop having the fun they came yeah, for. Yeah, it's, 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 it's time to stop having fun and start doing paperwork. Wee! Yeah. Like... Yeah, not fun. Yeah, talk about G- twisting the knife. With the re- yeah, keep them engaged with the rest of the group in kind of the same way, and I think you'll be much more successful. I, I completely agree with that. Uh, and I think part of the reason is the fact that I've been doing a whole lot more GMing because it's, it's easy for me to find, you know, people who want to play but not GM and, like... I'll go, okay, well, we'll run this game and blah, blah, blah. And I'll know I'll be happier with the game if I'm the GM because I'll, I'll know mm-hmm. it's a game that I like and want to play. And I've played in some games online and things like that and with friends that I'm like, man, this game sucks. Why is this person running this game this way? I'm like, yeah. And so it's like, I just go, okay, I don't have a character. I control the world and I let my PCs be awesome. And when my PCs are awesome, yeah. I do the thing that like I had to learn about every writer is every PC needs to hate me. Because I need to do horrible things to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, but you know, this brings up something interesting, is we keep talking about player characters. The GM, assuming we, it's a game with a GM, mm-hmm. the GM has a whole bunch of characters, many of whom will probably die during the game. Unless it's a very light tone in the game, where there's just not, death isn't something that comes up. Yeah. Yeah, right. and that's those games are few and far between. I think in my entire gaming career, I have played in one at Fear the Con six last year. <laughs> yeah, mine was also at Fear the Con. Shannon Dixon ran it. Yeah, same GM that ran mine. I I, I think I've hmm. I think I've played in a couple games. I've played in a couple one shots where no one has died simply because that's just the way the yeah. system went. And no one and nothing. Yeah, yeah. you you, you wouldn't know what what the what the most hilarious part one of them is it was in the first one it was a game i wanted to die in i had my character and i was trying to kill him off in but like the gm said no why are you gonna die you can get out free and i'm like oh this <laughs> this isn't how i thought don't rest your head was going to go i was gonna do- go down to <laughs> blaze of glory and go crazy because because i've never played yeah. this character again <laughs> yeah anyway gms have a whole lot of npcs <laughs> that they're dealing with Little mooks and minions, I don't think, maybe, well, they may be worth talking about later on. Well, they're only worth talking about if they're not bundles of XP. Like, if they're bundles of XP that the the PCs get to beat up and then, like, they explode in the little green balls and then they come and get collected... Then, then roll a total of this on your dice, and you get treasure. Yeah, like that. Yeah, that's, no, no one cares about that. Like, uh, unless you're playing in a game uh, where yeah. you make them care about that. Uh, like, uh, however, beloved sure. NPCs, your goblins yeah. in the Y twenty one twelve game, Y twenty one twelve game, yeah, uh, things like that, or a beloved PC. Like the reason it doesn't bother GMs in my mind is I'm going to steal a bit of advice from the Monster Hearts Handbook. You treat your NPCs like stolen cars. They're not really yours, and you've got a whole bunch of them. So if one of them goes off the bridge and crashes in fiery death, all the more fun. I got twenty more over here. Yeah, you know, so so long as it isn't like like one that you've like taken time to care and polish, then then that can be a kind of a jerk thing if this is your pet NPC. But then again, if it's your pet NPC, you're probably doing it wrong and need to treat it more like a stolen car because 
Yes. <laughs> no GMPCs. Yeah, the, um, well, I don't know if I can even say that that's always the case, but your your average NPC can kind of go under the Doritos mentality, crunch all you want, I'll just make more. Mm. Um, the thing is, too, unless it's like the big bad or his chief henchman or something, what do you figure the average amount of time you spend on creating an NPC is? 20 minutes or so? And a lot of the time you're going to take those stats and recycle them a few times? Yeah. I mean, how much time did you spend on your L5R character, Grant? Because I think I probably spent four or five hours on mine. Now, granted, um, I was trying to learn the character creation for L5R 4E2, but... Oh, uh, yeah, there's that. Probably a total of two hours, but that's because I kind of knew what I was going to do with him. And for those familiar with Legend of the Five Rings, it's a Hidabushi. They're not very complicated. It's a big dude with a big club. Yeah. They're not complicated social he's, butterflies. He's a little more nuanced oh, no, than he that. Is. But... I put some work into him. I, I like the complexity I gave him, but he is refreshingly simple in some ways, and I kind of wanted that. Now, here's a real question for you. How much time do you think you're going to have to spend on your Crane Clan character? I'm already working on him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, but you know, for the Savage Shadowrun game I'm doing, I have put some work into some of the NPCs, but... Honestly, I haven't put a ton, and a lot of them are just recycled numbers. Yeah, and Savage Worlds is really nice for doing everything quickly. It plays quickly, character creation goes quickly. It's yeah. just, it's, it's got to be one of the fastest yeah. systems out there. It is. And you know, some of the NPCs I thought you guys wouldn't care about at all, you guys really cared a lot for. Um, a lot of the people working at the first company you guys hit, you're like, you know what, let's try and... Keep collateral damage as minimal as possible so that these innocent people don't lose their jobs. Yeah, we, we are the you nicest know, you, you group really of Shadowrunners ever, though. So. You really are. It's impressive. Honestly, you guys cared a lot more about the giant rampaging prehistoric rhinoceros than I thought you would. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right, all right, all right. So I think we're getting a little off track here. Talking about the NPCs we care about, but and not dealing with the death and and death at the table, yeah. which is uh, we're we're kind of working towards that. I yeah. think you know, yeah, there are NPCs that players care about yes. a lot, and there are NPCs they don't care about, and the risk of death to those NPCs can be pretty important. And when they actually do die or meet a fate just as bad, what do you do with that? Yeah. And a lot of it, I think, depends on whether they are an antagonist or. Somebody kind of on the side of the protagonists. Or worse, an innocent bystander. Well, there's that. I'll be perfectly honest. Innocent bystanders, unless you have managed to very, very quickly make them mean a lot, they're sort of background. I think that's genre dependent. I think in a superhero game, Perhaps they're, they're not background. I think in a fantasy game, they probably are. Well, even then, it depends a lot on the superhero game. I'm thinking Superman, Spider-Man, Captain America, genuinely good people, well, superheroes. Yeah, but then uh, even a slightly darker take on that, like the recent Superman movie with I don't know how many countless lives lost in Metropolis from all the collateral damage. I still haven't seen that one, so. Well, I just told you everything interesting. <laughs> Except for the twist ending everyone hated. Yeah. Again, it comes down to do these people care about it? Is there something in the character that makes them want to protect everybody and keep anybody at all from coming to harm well then all of a sudden those people that they haven't met mean something somehow they have a connection to them even if it's purely in the character's head sure yeah you can use that to make those bystanders matter 
but it, when they are named, it matters, I think, more. You're, oh, yeah. Like, and it's kind of a simple formula. How much time have the players spent interacting with that person? Well, that's how much weight they carry emotionally. Well, true. Well, it, that's sort of the Spider-Man one. You've got uh, Mary Jane Watson and then a, a busload of tourists. Like, which right. one do you save? We've got named NPC. We've got a whole bunch of tourists and children. Choose. Yeah. Yeah, you have kind of a, a weighting system there, you know, which one is more important. And by the same token, to use that Spider-Man 1 example, why did Uncle Ben's death emotionally matter to the audience? You know, forget to the character. Why did we emotionally feel that? Well, we spent time with him and we got to know that character. And then now all of a sudden he's dying and dead. Yeah, and that's that's goes way more into how to thematically use death in a scene and things like that, because death is a powerful right. powerful motivator that has driven nearly every story since the dawn of time if you ask me that's true okay so that's true we're still kind of floating around on the theoretical layer of this and do we want to get a little more practical with some actual advice here or? i would love to get more practical with some actual okay advice. so let's let's hit the first one that should be obvious but uh we should probably call out as our initial one here when you're setting up a game if you're the gm you really owe it to your players to discuss how lethal the game has the potential to be. Uh, if they go in expecting something like what I played at Fear the Con 6 with Shannon and what they get instead is the GURPS game that I described that takes place in the Civil War with mini balls, you know, tearing yeah. limbs off and people dying of sepsis, they're going to be really unhappy. And that can also work in the other direction, too. If you go in for a high tension, you know, high suspense, high lethality game and you get Disney you're going to be disappointed. Oh, yeah. Well, like, I went into the Star Wars D6 game expecting a fun sci-fi romp, and within five minutes, my character is effectively dead. This is the elevator shaft game, yes? Yeah, the elevator shaft game where where it's like, well, that was not fun. Elevator, the shafting? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Star Wars can be this very pulpy action-adventure kind of thing, and it sounds like you didn't get that. (laughs) <laughs> no, I was, I was, it was random, like, to borrow a Star Trek reference, random redshirt guy who dies to let you know that this plot is serious, which is great. Yeah. Uh, as long as that person playing that is not an actual character. Doing that to an actual PC is a horrible, horrible thing. Right. Especially if, as you've previously illustrated, you spend the rest of the session lying in an elevator yeah. shaft rather than participating. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think if you are going to run a high lethality game, you do owe it to your player group to make sure that you are prepared for what you are going to do when one of those PCs inevitably kicks the bucket. You know, do they have yes. spare PCs stacked up and ready to go? Do you have a bunch of NPCs that are roughly equivalent in power and interest level to the PCs that you can say, all right, pick one of these guys? You know, do you have... Yeah, or that you can kind of promote to that status. It's like, uh, well, they were kind of minor, but here you go. Oh, we forgot that there's this other guy sitting back on the ship. So, Mito died. Let's bring you in and, you know... Okay, here's one of the great banes of a GM's existence is teleportation, right? But it can also be one of the greatest tools that that GM can use. Oh, look, somebody died. Here's their replacement. You know, as long as it works well within the context of the world, ascending in a teleport spell that brings in, you know, another guy from the same order in D&D or, you know, the starship beams down a couple more guys from the, you know, the security department because the situation's obviously dire or... It doesn't even have to be actual teleportation. It could be functional teleportation where this guy, yeah. like, he he would not have existed in the 
entire world until you had your weapons malfire and shot yourself in the head. And now your character's dead on the floor or and there's no recovering him. Yeah. Uh, the dungeon guard just killed a player character. Hey, there's this convenient prisoner yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. this con- convenient prisoner here. All of a sudden, a second guy just bursts into the room being chased by kobolds. And you jump and defend him and go, oh, God, you know, it's. And grateful to you, he joins your party and you are best friends forever because you've all seen the big player logo yeah. tattooed on your forehead. Yeah, well, well, he he loves you because you just saved his butt. He comes in with some, like, adventure hook, so you love him, and party is made. Hooray! <laughs> Don't think about it too hard, it works. Yeah. 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 Um, we've talked somewhat about the high lethality games leading to low character involvement. I don't want to go back over that. Fairness is a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you're going to have a high lethality game, you probably need to be rolling in the open because nobody wants to be killed by a fudged die roll. No, absolutely. And I mean, even if you're pretty sure the GM is not going to be fudging dice rolls, if you're not happy about how your character died, you're always going to be wondering, was that really how those numbers turned up? Is that really how that went down? Really? Yeah. He couldn't have fudged it the other way. You always got to know. Yeah. Likewise, there's a storytelling benefit when you're really fair about the numbers and what kills PCs and NPCs, it adds verisimilitude. The The rules work the same way no matter which way the gun is pointing. Yeah. Your world is internally consistent. Mm-hmm. And it really does cut down on disappointment and frustration at the table. If, you know what, you got me fair and square, the dice didn't go my way, you can be unhappy about it, but you can't be... You can't be, ups- you can't be outraged over it. Um, there's, there's no, there's no affront there. It's just, it's distressingly like how death works in the real world, unpredictably and seemingly at random. Yeah. Well, this is, this is kind of what I was trying to do with my, I, I, I did not like the lethality level in D and D. I wanted there to be a very dangerous Mm -hmm. lethality level in Y2112 because it was supposed to be somewhat post-apocalyptic and with guns and guns kill people. And I also wanted to make it heroic. So I said, yeah, we have instant death where if someone hits you with a bullet, they confirm that crit a third time or something like that or whatever rules I had. Oh, yeah, yeah. the double 20 yeah. rule. Yeah. They, they, they rolled like that. Bam, you're shot. You're at zero hit points. You're bleeding out from this wound, which then mm-hmm. the PCs, it, it, that's, that was my thing is I didn't just instantly kill them because I thought that was boring. So I said, no, your ally is screaming on the floor. And the thing is, same thing would have happened to all the other bad guys, but I basically just declared him dead. Like, because uh, in, in situations where they weren't going to get help. Sure. Are you guys familiar with the Chunky Salsa rule? I was n- yes. not familiar with Chunky Salsa rule. What is Chunky Salsa? Grant, seems- do you want to take this one or should I? <laughs> Grenades in enclosed spaces turn meat into Chunky Salsa. <laughs> I don't know whether it started in GURPS or Shadowrun. I've heard it in both. But there are a lot of games that strive for a lot of verisimilitude that really get simulationist. They have an equivalent rule. Even some slightly sillier and more over-the-top games like uh, Rogue Trader have rules like that. Oh, you're using a grenade in a strong room where the walls aren't going to instantly burst? It's going to be messy. Yeah, the the way that I've heard it described is anything that would um, reduce a character's head to the consistency of chunky salsa is lethal regardless of what the rules actually say. Okay, well, we've heard different versions of it. I've always heard it specific to explosives, yeah. but yeah, generally speaking, if it seems like it's going to kill you, tough. Yeah. One thing 
that I do want to mention for fairness. There are a lot of systems, many very popular like Savage Worlds, where the PCs kind of have an inherent advantage. Uh, Bennies, void points, um, wild oh, yeah. dice, action points, wild dice, you name it. But in those cases, it's just, hey, these people are luckier, stronger, more capable people. But the system still works the same way. Oh, yeah. Fairness basically means make sure it's not unfair for the PCs. Uh, any game you play right. you should be unfair to the NPCs. Because the NPCs aren't the people you have to keep coming back. The NPCs aren't the people you have yes. to entertain. The NPCs won't be bringing chips and salsa over to your house. The NPCs yep. won't burn your car if you kill their favorite character. Man, you get chips and salsa? I need to stop running internet games. I think that's the problem. <laughs> I play online. Of course I don't get chips and Peter, salsa. why aren't you mailing me chips? Uh, I can Cross try country. it, but I don't think you're going to like the condition they'll arrive in. I won't either. Uh, but yeah, like like yeah. I said, it's like it's it's supposed to be balanced. The GM is supposed to lose. And as I was, I was bringing in a friend, she, I, I was trying to explain that. I was like, no, no, I, I usually lose these games. Or like my character's usually dead. She's like, you can't ever win? That's That's horrible. I'm like, no, it's not horrible. That's awesome like they're having a great story I'm, yeah i am fine with my bad guy like tipping over and falling into lava and going curse you as he sinks and then yeah. the hand because in like six sessions of the savage Shadowrun game i've managed to lightly injure her <laughs> well no because uh my wife's character you know, she was gonna get hurt and then she spent a benny and rolled well and oh hey she Soaked the damage, no problems. Aside from that, I've really only managed to make the PCs shaken. Now, now, granted, we are an exceptionally cautious and thoughtful group of crazy yeah, pink mohawk shadowrunners, but that. you have earned it without question. But at the same time, it would be a very different game, and I don't think it would be a game you guys enjoy as much if it was a gritty, all right, I'm the last man standing, everyone else is bleeding out around me, what do I do kind of game. Oh, yeah, that would, that would be. Nowhere near as much fun as we've been having chasing an elasmatherium around a container yeah. maze. It's a, this is pulp shadow run is really what oh, it yeah. is. Oh yeah, unapologetic, self aware, and massively enjoyable for it. Yeah. And that's that's completely totally awesome. Like, and and there are going to be some people that go, no, I want the, I want the grit. I want the you you should be able to kill sure. me. And okay, fine. Yeah, if that's the game that they want to play, sure, I'll run it. Okay, so we've kind of been running around in a circle on this one. Should we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Should we get to the different kind of levels of death or? Well, I wouldn't even call it levels. There's something that we've kind of talked about obliquely, and that's sudden death versus expected death. Um, the expected death thing, you know, we've kind of brought up, a, I'm in a, a game where this can happen, or I have made a character who may well just end up dying in the game, and I'm okay with that. There are a lot of systems that allow for characters who have a inherently limited lifespan. Yeah, I know in GURPS you can take the terminally ill disadvantage if you want to. Yeah, Legend of the Five Rings has some equivalent sort of stuff. D&D um, uh, &D has age. If you age to a certain yep. point, you die. Yep, absolutely. And even systems without that. Um, one of my favorite unknown armies group templates that they suggest in the book is, and it's not reflected necessarily in the character in any way, except maybe, hey, you've arranged your stats in an appropriate way, but everybody in your group has some terminal illness. You're all going to be dead within five years, and you're all basically getting together to make a bucket list and say, you know what, before we go, we want to leave our mark. 
didn't Steve from Postcards in the Dungeon run a uh, supers game where the supers process made you terminally ill, basically? I think it may have even been at a Fear the Con. Possibly. I don't, I don't remember for sure. Uh, I think it's safe to say that if you are playing in a Dread game, you're a character like that. Maybe you don't know exactly what's going to kill you, but you're going into it knowing, you know what? Probably not going to make it through this game. Well, like in any game, like you said, going back to the Chunky Salsa rule, you can have your character say, I've got, like, cancer. I'm not going to survive 20 years. I have a good five years ahead of me if I'm lucky, two years if I'm being if I'm being realistic, and I'm gone. So, like, that's, that's going to yeah. focus your, your the life of what you're going to risk, because you're not risking, like, oh, my God. I'm going to lose the next 40 years of my life. It's like, now is this, is this like fight here worth me spending two years of my life? Yeah. Yeah. It changes the, the math, if you will. Yeah. And there are characters like who kind of have that built in just by virtue of who they are. Not, not necessarily what impediments they have. Uh, an old West gunfighter, every time he faces off, well, there's a chance he's not going to make it. That's inherent to the character. Oh, well, one of the reasons I love my Tin Man character is that he was basically, he was on a quest to die. He wanted to reach uh, someone. Right. He wanted to find someone who, who didn't exist to ask him to basically kill him because he had lived through so much pain and he just wanted it to stop. Yeah. If that death is something you can expend, I think that's a really powerful moment for a character. In fact, there are, um, there's a whole section in one of the Legend of the Five Rings books it's kind of in the canon of the system that if a spellcaster says, you know, I'm going to pour all of my life energy into this one particular spell, it can have incredible consequences. Well, that happens in Dresden, too. The yeah. death curse. And it's it's not uncommon in fiction. And But the, this book was specific in saying, all right, if you need rules for it, here are some rules where they get basically an enormous amount of successes on it. But we recommend just saying, you know what? It works and it's awesome and they've basically given up that character for it. Let it be cool. At least until, you know, it reaches the point where, all right, I've made a new character to accomplish this thing. Sacrifice. All right. Made a new character. Sacrifice. Yeah. And you know, oh, yeah, if, it, oh, yeah. if it becomes a conveyor belt of, hi, I'm I'm John 1, I'm John 2, I'm John 3. Yeah, if you're like, using a belt-fed PC gun to shoot at the bad guys, <laughs> that's not a good thing. I want one, but, you know, <laughs> really just because, for the visual more uh, than anything else. Well, yeah, like, and the same rules, as I was saying, happened in the Dresden Files RPG. They basically say that it's, mm -hmm. it's a spell, they already have everything prepared, and they can inflict as many consequences on themselves as they want want because they're not going to be around so yes i break my arm five times i'm going to be dead it, it inflicts this much stress on themselves and it, it inflicts 30 uh 32 points of stress on their character like that's enough to kill another character that's enough to do some really horrendous things yeah but by the same token mm -hmm. if you've got a character who has that potential there i think there's a very powerful interesting story arc inherent to that character because they have such a limited time, what do they accomplish in it? And at what point do they say, my story's over and I want it to end like this? And that's a character decision and a player decision. And also, you can go with the exact opposite. You can go with a person who really, really doesn't want to die. And so they make a deal with a, a PC. In a game I run, a PC did that. He said, hey, look, I'm looking for something special for my character. 
I want to make a thing where I may, uh, no matter what would happen, uh, he couldn't die. He could go through all of the death things, but then he would just wake up fully healed a couple hours later. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, Highlandry. It, it was because he, he had made a bargain with me. And I said, okay. And that's going to have some other huge side effects because the thing he made the deal with was not nice. Nothing nice ever gives you that deal. <laughs> <laughs> because sure yeah and by the same token something in character to a character like this who has some other quickly approaching limit on their lifespan you know if they don't react well to that if they're not accepting that with fortitude if they don't have they don't they don't um, have the hope of eternity perhaps yeah if they don't have that hope or they their faith isn't strong enough to really let them act in that way then what will they do to avoid it And we interrupted this episode to apologize for some technical difficulties. We lost a minute or so of conversation right around here. To briefly summarize, we moved on to talking about people who had expected to die, but for one reason or another didn't. People who were given their life back, so to speak. And to pick it up there, here's Peter. I think one of the most common reactions to that sort of thing would be like, um, have you guys seen Saving Private Ryan? Nope. Oh. Look, I just saw Up this last weekend. I am way behind on okay, movies. Okay, okay, fair enough. At any rate, the uh, the character in Saving Private Ryan, I think, is an interesting example to use here of somebody who's kind of been given their life back or has been spared through extraordinary sacrifice in that particular case. But I think it still works. The uh, The guy who—this is going to be major spoilers for Saving Private Ryan, so if you haven't seen the movie— yeah. It's, it's an old enough. It's old movie, enough. I think. You know, fast forward a minute or two and keep watching, I guess, if you really care. But so this ranger team goes and they rescue this guy because his two brothers have been killed and they don't want the whole family wiped out, basically. The movie begins with um him going to visit the grave of the captain who died rescuing him. Mm-hmm. And the movie ends with him standing at the grave like because the last thing the captain says before he dies is earn this. And he tried, you know, he talks about how he tried to live the best life that he could. And, you know, he was still really grateful for the other guy's sacrifice. And I think a lot of the time when people expect to die and then don't, they realize that all they've ever had is borrowed time anyways. And it kind of reorders their priorities. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes that makes the person into a much better person than they were before. I suppose there's cases where it might not. But that's definitely something that can be interesting to play with because, it's a very transformative experience. You've prepared for this huge thing that's, you know, scary and unknown. And now you've got an unknown amount of time where you don't have to deal with it. So bonus, you know, yeah, maybe in some cases like, you know, the samurai that we're going to be playing, maybe that would almost be bad. You know, the death before dishonor thing. And yeah, a lot depends on the circumstances. One of the funny things about the Legend of the Five Rings settings and and feudal Japan, which is what L5R is based on, is you you have this concept of seppuku, this honorable suicide instead of doing something dishonorable. And it was used as a bluff very, very often where it's, well, you know, if we do that, I'm just going to have to cut my belly. Well, okay, we can't do that. Let's find some other way to do it. It's on the table, but sometimes doesn't come up. And then there are times when... You know, somebody's about to do that and they've prepared themselves and all of a sudden it's not necessary anymore. Something changes at the last second and it's, well, now what? Yeah. You're right. It's very powerful and that moment can be, 
if you play around with it, that's a lot of fun. Um, the other thing is we've talked a lot about the moment of death, not so much about the dying process. Like the five stages of grieving? That's some of it also what people who are dying want to do before their time is up. Uh, repairing damaged relationships, bucket lists of things that need to be done before I go, setting their affairs in order, that sort of thing. There's all sorts of, and we're kind of running long, so I don't want to get into that too much, but just thinking about those, there's a lot of possibilities in all of those things, uh, whether it's a PC or an NPC. Yeah, I mean, if it's an NPC, they can have some stuff that they're no longer capable of that they want the PCs to help them with. I mean... Yeah, I don't know. My mind just went back to... Uh, Majora's Mask, because I recently saw something that explained that Majora's Mask was basically the five stages of grieving. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Mm -hmm. If you're looking to model death as a player, this is something you can get into, which is I don't think this is something I've ever heard discussed, is how to model a character in the grieving process. Because most of the time, people just do it naturally. Sure. You know, it's like, if you actually cared about this character, because that's something... uh, about role-playing games. This is actually going back to the main first point we talk about is the whole idea of a does it cheapen death? And I think no. No more than any movie cheapens death or any book cheapens death when you actually really like a character and they actually die. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really hurts you. It, it's, still, it's still a loss. Like, even though it's a fictional loss, and these worlds are more real than any movie you're going to watch because you're part of it. In the Monster Hearts game, I, I'm talking about a, one of our listeners actually is playing in that game with me, and she has basically said that one of the reasons she's liking this game so much is that it's like a TV show, but she gets to act in it, and she's a character. She loves watching it. It's like her favorite TV show, but instead of just watching it, she's she gets to play, and she gets to control what's going on. And so in that sense, what's going on is real. It, it's I mean, it's not actually happening, but... It's happening to her character. Right. And there have yeah, been a you. lot of moments in that game where I have just seen the looks on the people's faces, where they have not expected things. They have had their... I've seen jaws on the floor with some of the things that they've dealt with in that game. And that's part of the reason why I love Monster Hearts and I talk about it so much. <laughs> well, that's, that's fair. <laughs> I think that's actually a really good place to wrap. I, I think so, too. You'll note that we didn't end up talking about Resurrection at all, um, which we kind of figured might happen. We... Death in and of itself is a really big topic. We're already running long. I guess the next episode will probably be Resurrection. What do you guys say? Yeah, it works probably, for me. Yeah. Okay, cool. We will see you in, the, in two weeks back here to talk yep. about life after death. Yeah, and uh, in the meantime, if you guys have anything you want to contribute to the conversation, please go ahead and put it up in our uh, Google Plus community. You can get there through our website, savingthegamepodcast.org, or just going straight to it at gplus.to slash stgcommunity. Yeah. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Yes, please. And then hopefully we can read them on air if you want or don't want, or, you know, if you don't want, just say and we won't do it, but we'll be able to talk about it yeah. and get more things. This is going to be probably a, a two-part conversation, and it'd be nice to get more voices involved. So. All right. And I cool. think on that one, we're going to leave you, folks. Have a good evening, and we'll catch you next time. Take it easy. We'll see you next time. Peace. See ya. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through InroadsMinistries.com, RPGPodcasts.com, 
Stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.